Now, today we're going to be looking at a man by the name of Amos. Amos was what they call a minor prophet. Now, when they say a minor prophet or a major prophet, all they're talking about is the length of, of the book. So, like Isaiah, Ezekiel, they would be considered major prophets because the books are bigger. But Amos was a minor prophet. Just, uh, in fact, why don't you start to turn to that right now, if you would. It might take you a little longer than uh, normal because it's, it's a minor prophet. So start looking for that. And if this helps you, it's right between Joel and Abadiah. Obadiah, excuse me, Abadiah. I'm sure that makes it go a lot faster now, doesn't it? Okay. But this message that was delivered by Amos to Israel was, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, was given to the northern kingdom. Now, the, after Solomon passed away, then his son Rehoboam came on the scene, and, and the, uh, the nation split up. And so it became two nations. It was called Israel, and that's the northern section, and then Judah was the southern, like Jerusalem and, and south of that. But he talks to both of them at different times, and we'll see that once we get to uh, Amos. i got to find it, too. You ever thought about what makes America great? It's great Americans. And what makes great Americans great is the values we have and how we respond to the one who created us and who sustains us, sustains us and delivers us. He redeems us. How we respond to him, that's what really makes great people because they're living their lives for Christ. Now, this is a message that isn't just for America, but it's for all nations. Any nation you could put in there. Okay, let's do it. What makes Norway great? Great Norwegians. Okay, what makes great Norwegians great? Same thing. It's the idea that values are so important. And when they're lived out by people, it makes all the difference in whatever nation a person's part of. So we're going to look at this, and I think we're all in, are we all in Amos now? Okay, chapter 6. Okay, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to read this. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time we can be together, and I just pray that we will open our hearts to you and ask the questions about what does this mean for me, and what does it mean today, and what should I do today? And so, Lord, we just want to take the reading of the Scripture and the expounding uh, upon that Touch our lives, all of us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's begin. Verse 1. Woe to you who are, competent, who are complacent excuse me, in Zion, and to you who feel secure on Mount Samaria. You notable men of the foremost nation to whom the people of Israel come. Go to Kelna and look at it. Go from there to great Hamath. And then go down to Gath in Philistia. Are they better off than you two kingdoms? Is their land larger than yours? 
You put off the evil day and bring near a reign of terror. You lie on beds inlaid with ivory and lounge on their couches. You dine on choice lambs and fattened calves. You strum away on your harps like David and improvise on musical instruments. You drink wine by the bowlful and use the finest lotions. But you do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, you will be among the first to go into exile. Your feasting and your lounging will end. Now, these are the words of the Lord spoken through Amos. Now, Amos was a farmer, and he lived south, south about 20 miles, I guess, uh, away from uh, Jerusalem. But he was called from Judah to go to the northern kingdom and speak to them. But actually, he speaks to both in different ways. But we're going to cover that in a second. <clears throat> a mother asked her young daughter, Now, why do we have to be quiet in church? And she said, Because people are sleeping. <laughs> that wasn't what the mother was after, but that's what the daughter said. But let's come alive, because here it says, woe, and the word woe means this. It means great distress or great sorrow. Woe to you who are complacent in Zion, and to you who feel secure in Mount Samaria. You notable men of the foremost nation in whom the people of Israel come. And so what he's doing is addressing leadership people who are in the leadership positions. And it's for both countries, for Judah and for Israel. But the word complacent, basically it means this. I don't need any more help. I'm doing fine. I don't need this to grow in Christ and things like that. It's just where I've, you know, I've arrived basically is what is being said. I'm doing fine, life is good, take it easy, that kind of thing. I used to have an uncle, he passed away a few years ago. His name was Buck, and uh, he lived out in Washington State. I'd call him occasionally, and I'd say, well, Buck, what are you doing today? He says, I'm just putzing around. And my brothers would call, and he'd get, get the same response. So I'd always talk to my brother and say, what's Buck doing when you call? He said, he's putzing around. And... He died at age 98, so I guess he could putz as, well, as much as he wanted to. You know, you get older, you don't have the energy level as you do when you're younger. But uh, what we're talking about here is spiritual, spiritual sleep. And we don't want that. We don't want to be complacent. Now, let me give an example. You know, if I'd say, now, how many of you believe in prayer? I'm sure everybody would raise their hand. All right, let's just take an example, though, as far as the complacency towards corporate prayer. Now, last week we had, once a month we do this, we had a prayer meeting. Now, this is the first one I missed, I think, in about a year. I'm the one that heads it up, and I had John Philbrick uh, take over last Sunday. I had to be out of town, and at that time I was gone. So anyway, I couldn't go. So I said, John, count how many people come. All right, now... Let's just talk about the church. Let's say we have one service and everybody comes to that one service. 
Now, if you look in your bulletin, it says that we have like about 700 X amount of 700 people coming to the services, and then online there's about 200, 250 or something like that. So let's just say 1,000 for English, or excuse me, for, for easy math, let's go 1,000, okay? All right, so let's say 1,000 people are sitting in here, and I would ask, and I've done this before, but I haven't done it here, but I, I asked for 10 people to stand up. So they stood up, and, you know, 10 people with 1,000 people in this auditorium, there's not much of a dent, but that's how many people came last week. John counted, there were 10 people. Now, I'm not trying to put guilt on anyone, but think about the idea of prayer. We believe in it, but do we really, really make an effort to come once a month or even once every two months or three months? But we had 10, and that's not much beyond what we usually have. And so... 1% is not very much when you think about everyone who believes in prayer. Prayer. Sunday night prayer. Now, Amos says this, Woe to you who are complacent. Now, it's easy to get that way. But what we have to do is make sure that we see the need for keep, keeping on going forward. Let's just look at Philippians chapter 3 for a moment. It'll be on the screen in a moment. Philippians chapter 3. Paul is <clears throat> the writer of this book, Philippians. And he says in verse, verse 12 here of chapter 3, Not that I have already obtained all this or, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of what for which uh, Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining. Look at the word straining to get ahead. Forward. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now here's a man at whatever age he was, he was pressing on. He wasn't lackadaisical. He wasn't complacent. But it's just something that all of us have to recognize. It's easy to do. Very easy to do. Become complacent. Okay, let's keep reading here. Go to verse 2. It says, go to Kelna and look at it. Go from there to great Hamath. And then go down to Gath in Philistia. So just kind of take a little tour is what, what uh, Amos is saying. These places that at one time were so secure, so enamored with what, where they were living and the place they were at was so powerful in their minds. And the security was so tight and everything would be going like this forever. And that's something we have to watch out for because what happens is we can begin to forget what has happened to other places that deserted God? And that's exactly what happened in Kelna, in, in uh, <clears throat> Hamath, and in Philistia. Two of the places were in Syria, and one was in the Gaza Strip area. But it's the idea of this that we need to remember. Because if we don't remember, we're going to forget what God has done. Now, 
I don't know if any of you have struggled personally or someone in your family or someone you know with being, uh, having bipolar. But, you know, you have the, your ups and your downs and the ups and downs. Some days you can conquer the world. Other times you just feel so down. Now, I have a friend, retired pastor, who is unipolar. He's only one way, and that is down. And he has to be on medication. And same with someone that has bipolar, that goes up and down. But he, he's, but he pastored for many, many years, did a great job, and just great guy to be around. But uh, he needed the physiological element, and that is for medication. But someone that can take the medication, and then, you know, go, they go, <clears throat> boy, life is good. I feel great. Why do I need to keep taking this medication? You ever heard those words before or read about those? Why do I need this medication? Because that's how you're healthy. And so a person can just drop it and then all of a sudden, down. And so often it's that way when we're with, uh, when we forget about what God has done. Now let's go to the book of Deuteronomy just for a moment. Now Deuteronomy. I don't know if you know, Deuteronomy means this. Deuto, Deutero means the second. And namas is the word for law. So it's the second law. Moses is giving the law the second time now. And actually, Deuteronomy is a series of sermons. Now, he's not going to go into the promised land, but he's going to give some, some advice about when they go into the promised land, what to do, what not to do. So I'm just, uh, let's just read a couple of these verses here. Go to verse 17. It says, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. In other words, when things have become very good for you in the promised land, you're no longer going through the wilderness, but you're settled. Uh, the crops are going well. The livestock's going really well. Things are going well. And it goes on. It says, you may say to yourself, my power and my strength and my, fans, and my hands have produced this wealth for me. And now verse 18. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. God is the one who gives us the ability to do it. So no one should be cocky. No one should be conceited about what they have. And Amos is trying to make the points. You people have forgotten what it's all about. You've forgotten where the source of your power has come. And what happens when the, when the forgetfulness comes? Someone wrote it this way. People do not gravitate toward godliness. We do not gravitate to Scripture, to prayer, we do not gravitate to greater faith. We do not gravitate toward delighting in the Lord. We drift toward compromise, and we call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience, and we call it freedom. We lose the self-control element in our lives, and we call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness, and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. And there's a lot of different ways that go on that, that become more and more 
where we become forgetful. And we forget the prayers of the people who have gone before us and, and prayed for the new generation, so to say, coming in. And we live in a different world. Now, let's just keep reading here. <clears throat> it says this. It says, you put off the evil day. Verse 3. It says, you put off the evil day and bring near a reign of terror. And what's there, what's, what uh, Amos is saying is, is, he says, are you better off than those examples that I just brought? The people who thought they were secure and everything was going well and it was going to go that way forever. But it doesn't go forever. He says, what happens is, is <clears throat> you push away every thought of the coming disaster, but your actions only bring a day, the day closer. The day of judgment comes closer because you act this way. You ignore it. Forgetfulness. So he's speaking to the leadership people. And let's go on further. And this is about, so we talk about complacency. We talk about forgetfulness. Now we're going to talk about, about selfishness. What a happy, happy sermon this is. <laughs> they were selfish. Verse 4, you lie on beds inlaid with ivory. Now that's just luxuriantly spending money just wastefully. But it's very, very expensive, what he's talking about here. You lie on, or you lounge on, the, on your couches. You dine on chi, choice lambs and fattened calves. You strum away on your harps like David and improvise on musical instruments. You drink wine by the bowlful, not cups, but by the bowlful. And use the finest lotions. Abundance and peace and affluence and all these things going on, but they focused on their own pleasure and did not care about others. What they did and what was going on in Israel at this time was they were cheating poor people. The affluent people had more power and more power and more power, and the poor people became poorer and poorer and poorer. And what was going on in the nation was it was a time of peace. It was a time of peace in Israel, a time of peace in Judah. Assyria, which had caused problems before, was not causing any more problems because they got weakened. And so, so it was a very, very good time. It was commercially, it was going strong. It was, it was just a, a wonderful time to be going so well. But Isaiah was a godly king in the southern kingdom, but in the northern kingdom who, kingdom, who he was speaking to, Israel, they had Jeroboam. And Jeroboam, it said about him, it's just one, one sentence said about him, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So even though it seemed good, it seemed secure, it seemed going very well, morally they were not going well at all. So that's why God sent this, this man to speak. Selfish, greedy. We need to be, learn to be honest, to be generous. Here's some verses from the book of Proverbs. One person gives freely and yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. So it's just the concept of this. Then it goes on. A generous person will prosper. 
He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Now, this is what's going on in people that are giving or generous. God, people curse the one who hoards grain. Now, they hoard grain in times thinking that we're going to wait for the price to go up, and then we'll sell it. In the meantime, the poor people were starving, but they were waiting for the price to go up. So it says, people curse the one who hoards grain, but they, but they pray God's blessing on the one who was willing to sell. Simply being honest, simply being generous. It's things that we can do. Let's go on to another thing here. And that is the very last part of verse 6. It says, you drink by the bowlful, you wine by the bowlful, you use the finest lotions, but you do not grieve. You do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. Now, Joseph's son was Ephraim. And so sometimes those words, those names are used interchangeably. And it's in this area in the northern part where uh, something took place that really was a, 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 a tra- a, just, just, just a tragedy, basically. And it says, but you did not grieve over that. You didn't care. You were just happy where you were at doing what you're doing. And so here we have it. It's easy to become willfully blind. And we need to care enough to be on the alert. Now, just think of the changes that has taken place in our nation over the last few years. Now, you older folks that are here, from the 50s in high school and 60s, too, for the most part. Now, when I was in high school, I graduated in 1970, so I put that in there, too. But uh, when we were in high school, you know, the three big issues were there were running down the hall, chewing gum in class. Then another one was talking out of, out of turn. Raise your hand before you speak. You ever hear that in school? Okay. So those were some of the big things. What do kids in school deal with today? Think of shooting, the shootings that have taken place over, the, over time. You know, the flag so often is at half-mask. You know, not only schools, malls, wherever, but it's, it's just a different world we live in. Very different world. Last year, when abortion was signed on and signed off by the, by the Supreme Court, they said states have to make the decision, basically. And now abortion, we've, they've changed the rules. But go back 50 years ago, back in 1972. November of 72, when they had the elections, at that time, abortion was illegal in 46 states. In the four states that had it legalized, they were very, very tight, stringent rules. So it was different. But then come two months later, January 22nd, 1973, the Supreme Court said, you can have an abortion anywhere in the United States, and you can do it up into the third trimester if you want to. So it's just wide open. But it went just like that. And all these years, take as it goes on, you get used to it. 
And so when the Supreme Court made the ruling that that was not to happen anymore, it, people threw a fit. And I remember watching one time when they had the, had the um, I guess you can call it demonstrations and stuff like that. So you had the pro-life and you had the pro-choice coming together. But there was someone on the pro-choice side that had a sign that said this. It said, abortion is pro-life. You have to think about that, why they'd have a sign like that. Abortion is pro-life. But I saw that and I began to think, I thought of Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. These are the words. It says, Woe unto those who call darkness light and light darkness, who call bitter sweet and sweet to be bitter, who call darkness light and light darkness, evil good, good evil, on back and forth. And, 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 and things just kind of twist around and go, I don't get this. I just don't get this. And that's what we're going through right now. Some of the things that we, we look at and we think about the changes that have come, there's so many things that are, are out there that are going on. Um, male athletes becoming female athletes. You probably have seen on the TV, uh, Leah Thomas. He was from Penn State, or he's from Penn State. He was on the men's swimming team. He was rated across all colleges as 461st, yeah, 100, 100, no, 462 uh, swimmers. The top, he was the 462nd best swimmer in the country. All right. Then he became a woman. And he went through that trans, he didn't bodily go through anything, but uh, he became a swimmer as a female. And now he was number one. Now, for all those women who trained and trained and trained to be swimmers, and there's a woman out by the name of uh, Riley Gaines who's making the circuit now talking about this, but she swam against him and, and they, actually they had one race where they tied, but they gave it to him because they just decided to give it to him. But uh, it's been very difficult when you think of females who are, are working towards, you know, high goals in athletics. And then guys come along and they, they are able to do better because he's 6'4". He just towers over the rest of the swimmers and he can stretch so much further. It's, it's just, it's not fair. And then, not only that, but to go into the locker room and to shower up with the females, very, very, very upsetting. And it's not fair either, but it's very upsetting. And there's, there's so many people that are for this. And the Ivy League schools are this way. The NCAA has didn't even tell the, the swimmers about this taking place. And, and this, uh, this Riley was t talking about the fact that she didn't even know about this. I never heard of this swimmer before. Leah, it's L-E-A. It's not like a girl's name. Never heard of this swimmer before. 
then to find out it was male, then to find out that he had the same rights in the locker room, in the showers and all that, as the women do. Very, very upsetting. We live in a different world. I called a friend of mine. I haven't seen him for a long time, but I call him up just out of curiosity how things were going, but I heard he lost his wife. And so I lost my wife, and I, I, we talked about it, uh, losing our, our spouses. But he said, what I'm struggling with now is this. My son-in-law has now become my daughter-in-law. Just strange things are taking place. Last night, I went over to Target. And when you walk in the door, unless they change it, but as of last night, you walk in the door, straight ahead is this pride section. And I was just appalled at that. And I didn't chew anybody out, but I asked the workers there, and they said, you gotta, you got to talk to corporate people, corporate people. I said, you like the manager? No, the managers, they won't, they, they'll say the same thing. You've got to talk to a corporate target. But it's just, it was just so upsetting to see that. I don't know if some of you have seen that or not, but this is from Franklin Graham. He was speaking recently at the National Broadcasters Convention, and he said this. He said, there's a storm coming. And we've got to be prepared. Every demon from hell has been turned loose in our culture today. The world has deteriorated so quickly we cannot be deceived or fooled. We need to get ready and we have to be prepared. It's Franklin Graham. Now, let's cheer things up for a minute, okay? All right, let's say you had a business. Your business has some service or, or product that you want to sell. And so you hire salespeople. Now, when you hire salespeople, what kind of people do you want to have? You want people that are real, have gusto. You know, they talk, they're passionate about it. And when it's not, it's, the sales are not where they should be. Years ago, when I graduated from seminary, we were coming, my parents came for the ceremony. We were coming back from Chicago, so Chicago to Minnesota. We stopped to eat somewhere, and um, the waitress Gave us the menus and then came back a few minutes later. What can I get you? And my dad said, well, tell me about the walleye. She said, oh, it's really bad. <laughs> I went order that. You know, so she's kind of saying, I'd rather die than eat that stuff. So my dad said, I don't think I'll order that. <laughs> Tough one. But what we need in America are people who are excited, really excited about being a follower of Christ. We need that. We need that. It, I don't want to say in, in the idea of selling, but, but we need that. Greatest need in America is people, Christians, who are sold out for Christ. Revival. Now, think about this. If you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, if you love God that way, what would you do differently? Now, hang on to that thought because that is your application about what we're talking about here. We don't want to be complacent, do we? No, we don't. We, we don't want to be forgetful. We don't want to be selfish. We don't want to be blind. We don't want to be willfully blind. But we want to be 
excited about what Christ has done for us. We want to honor him who has saved us, who has given us life and eternal life. And we need that kind of fervor and excitement. So just to think on that one for a second. But here's the challenge before us. We need to admit our spiritual poverty. It is so easy to backslide and to get cold and to just let things go. We need one another to to get each other to be hot. It's like taking a a piece of wood off the fire. And it's going to go out away from the fire. But when you put it back in, we can just heat each other up. So we admit our spiritual poverty. What would I give up if I really loved God with all my heart? What would I give up or what would I start? And then confession and repentance. We can know we have sinned and do nothing about it. We can confess it. And we're necessary sometimes confess it to others. But, but we need confession and repentance. And then third, a renewed commitment to seek and to do the will of God. Now, we can be convicted of sin. We can confess, we can repent, but the real test is our willingness to obey. A life touched by the Holy Spirit will no longer tolerate sin within us. Now think about what God wants you to do in this area. And think of the words of Amos as he's speaking to this nation and actually to all of us. So right now, let's let's just bow our heads together. And we'll have a closing song in just a moment. Heavenly Father, we know that we are prone to wander off. And we are prone to do our thing and not your thing. But Lord, I just pray that as we have this this, uh, message to the nation back then, to Israel, to Judah, I pray God would be a message for us. May we apply it in our lives as far as what hinders us from walking with you with losing our our excitement about you. And Lord, if we are excited, we can always get more excited. But Lord, teach us by your Holy Spirit. Guide us, empower us, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.